We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by M-Prize Bank, your partner in Possible. Who you do business with is more important than where they're located. Bank from the comfort of your own home with M-Prize Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of the KC Laboratory Podcast with Ken Swanson, Craig Stout, and Matt Lane. Coming to you on the fastest growing sports media network in Kansas City. You can find all of our channels covering all the local teams wherever you listen to podcasts or on YouTube. Just search KCSN. And now, the latest episode of the KC Laboratory. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Casey Laboratory brought to you by Emprise Bank. My name is Craig Stout. Joining me this week, as expected, my good pal, Maddie Lane. Maddie, my friend, it's a Thursday. We are still it in is June. That, that's a fact. We are still peak off season right now. How are we doing, buddy? You know, we're making it. It's I, June. I know. Unfortunately, the Denver Nuggets are a far more talented team than the Miami Heat, so we have to witness that. That's not fun for anybody. Um, so that's happening. We're coming off coming off another Nuggets win. That's sad. Yeah. It's June, middle of the offseason for football. More sad. So, you know, it. it's a somber Listen, time, Craig. That's not the only thing that Denver has going for it right now. We'll just lead off with it. Former Chief Frank Clark signs a $5.5 million guaranteed contract with the Denver Broncos today. Incentives up to $7 million. I think everybody in Kansas City may be a little bit more uh, surprised by this because I think we all thought that Frank was on his way back. Especially Frank Chris Jones certainly thought that Frank was on his way back. So it, it was a, a little bit of a left turn to see Frank go and get that contract with a division rival. Obviously, you know, good for Frank getting the money. Always condone for players to go get the best that they can do and the best money that they can get. But, Matty, let's lead off with this. Are you a little bit surprised that Frank didn't land in Kansas City this offseason? No. Um, I think... It's tricky, right? Because I think Frank Clark was very good for the Chiefs. I think that I would have preferred him to come back. But just as long as things were kind of taking as much as Chris Jones was taking to social media, that made me feel 
like it was less kind of like it wasn't close to happening right like the fact that he was going there was just kind of more of like hey why is nothing going on here whether this helps him come back to the Chiefs or another team it just felt like he was talking about his guy and Frank Clark who was not getting the traction that you know he wanted or anybody wanted to see for him I think that kind of doubled for KC. It, Kansas City's taken back-to-back round one edges. They signed Charles O'Menohue in free agency. They also um, got really good return on their investment in Mike Dana. The defensive end room is about as full, as deep as it's been under, you know, the Steve Spagnuolo era at this point in time. So yeah, there's a spot for a veteran, which I'm sure we're going to talk on here, but I just, I don't know. I never had the feeling that it was going to be Frank Clark for sure. I... I think I thought that there was a veteran just because the the number of young guys. I, I think it's unreasonable to expect that all of these young guys can become contributors even to like a Mike Dana rookie year level, which is good. I'm not saying anything about that. Like Mike Dana was a solid contributor his rookie year. But to expect, you know, I mean, obviously we expect that Felix Anaduki Ozama is going to contribute in a big way. Uh, but to expect... BJ Thompson, Truman Jones, and you know, the, and then George Karloftis to take a big leap to you know leap into that DE one role. You know, Charles O'Minihue to come in and hit the ground running. That's a lot of things to expect of a young defensive end room. You know, I, I think we all have expectations for a lot of these players, but not having a veteran in the room sort not having a veteran to that level like a carlos dunlap or a frank clark you know trying to take down mike dana and charles minihue not having a veteran to that level kind of looks a little bit on the outside in it's like okay well listen we're we're on board with the youth movement but it's never been this way under steve spagnolo and those major veterans have played such a key role not just in the playoffs but in the regular season in training camp, the development of these young guys, those veteran players are just as important to this team off the field as they are on the field. And so to not see one at this juncture is a little bit surprising to me because I do think they're going to want somebody in the room knows how Steve Spagnuolo wants things, can teach how Steve Spagnuolo wants things. And maybe, maybe Maddie, I'm just underestimating what a guy like Mike Dana can bring to the table here. So we'll see how this works out. We will see how it kind of circles back into the equation and who's going to contribute where, but I did kind of expect to see a veteran. Now, Maddie, to your point, I do think that this is a good enough group to get by with. Like, I don't think they need to have one. I think the talent is at least there to where they can roll with what they've got and still be okay. Yeah. And so I'm having technical difficulties all over the place right now. Um, I lost Craig there at the end of it. So I believe it is my turn to talk for a second now. Yes, it uh, is. <laughs> yeah. See, there we go. Maybe Mike Dana can, I mean, like, I think this Craig is going to maybe Mike Dana can take over as his veteran presence here. And that's kind of, and the Chiefs feel good about that. Maybe they've seen something out of the young guys they have around the building that makes them think that they are going to be okay without having another, uh, another presence like that on the team. Um, Carlos Dunlap, we, his name was mentioned. He is still available if the Chiefs do want to bring back a veteran like that. Like, I don't know. There's so much to unpack with where the Chiefs are at the defensive end room. We have a season kind of preview to get to, so I don't know how much longer we want to talk about it. I guess I do want to ask kind of this big question to you. Do you think 
the main rotation of the Chiefs defensive end room is is solidified? Do you think they are kind of done with Frank Clark being removed off the table? Do you think that there is another guy you anticipate them to add before the season starts? I I it remains to be seen, Maddie. I I, I do think that in I, I asked you this question while you were having your technical difficulty. So I apologize for, for, for kind of rehashing this to anybody that's listening to we it. We started so strong and now we're all over we the place. Said, listen, man, this, this is what happens. Frank Clark leaves and we just go God. shambles. Yeah. At makes Casey sense. laboratory. I mean, we can blame them. Really we're blaming Frank. Let him know. We're going to blame Frank. Frank just wanted to be close to me. Uh, I get it. I totally understand it. Um, I do think that the that the rotation is strong enough. The talent is there. I don't know that George Karloftis is ever going to be a 12 to 15 sack guy for this team, but I could see George Karloftis being a routine 8 to 10 sack guy for this team. I think that the growth that we saw last year and everything that we saw towards the end of the year makes me believe that George Karloff is going to hit that ceiling. Maybe as soon as this year, we'll, we'll see on that. FAU King Felix. I think it's going to take a little bit. Uh, But again, you're talking about a high end guy. You want to talk about a guy that's got DE one potential. It's him. It really is truly him. So I understand just banking on what you've got here, leaning on Charles Ominihue and Mike Dana to eat up a lot of the snaps as you ease in the young guys. I think that's a good enough rotation. I do. I don't think they have to absolutely have that veteran defensive end. I just think that it is so key for teaching those young guys how to play the game, how to approach the game, how to be in Steve Spagnuolo's scheme. They've just relied on Frank to do that, essentially, for the past three years. And and now they don't have that guy. So it's just a question mark of whether they need it. They've just had it to date. No, for sure. And I think... I think a big thing to kind of look out here is the timing of this. I I think that you have a one avenue of thought here is that they feel really good about their defensive ender, but they haven't seen Felix do anything yet. Right. And like, he's a guy that, you know, we kind of think, and it seems to be the consensus that he is a little bit more of a project type of guy. And so what could he have shown so far that I think would make the change their mind. So I don't know if it's a changing of a mind thing. If this to me says they never had an interest to bring in Frank Clark back, at least anywhere near the amount of money that Denver just gave him. Now, the problem with that, and it was alluded to here in this uh, question from Sophia, this is where you're going to see it the most, I think, is the run game, right? Frank Clark's been excellent versus the run in his time with Kansas City. Mm -hmm. Even right now, without Carlos Dunlap back, who is also very good versus the run, you were leading off with an Omenihue and a Mike Dana and Charles Omenihue. You also have George Karloftis in there, but like Mike Dana is very sound versus the run, but he's not the same physical presence that a Frank Clark or a Carlos Dunlap are. There are times where he will get overwhelmed by a guy that quite simply outweighs him by 100 pounds, right? And just plays a little bit bigger than he does with more length. Charles Omenihue is okay versus the run. He's good, but he's not. At, he's a little bit more of a pass rusher than a run defender. That's why you've seen him be a sub-package player for San Francisco when he was having his most success. I think he can do it. He can play the run. It's just not where he excels. And George Karloftis is some reps are incredibly impressive where he chucks Mm -hmm. Quentin Nelson to the ground and then sheds another blocker. And other times it doesn't look like he knows which gap he's supposed to be in. So it's just, you might have, as it stands right now, some less sound run defense out of your defensive ends. And I think for Steve Spagnuolo, that's a little scary. I don't think Felix 
plays a big role in fixing that at all in year one. Like he seems like he would be the least likely to add help. So just, I am intrigued to see where they go from that standpoint. And it could just be as simple, Maddie, that before we move off and go to the season preview stuff, it could just be as simple as this. Joe Cullen's really good at what he does. And they got to see what Joe did last year and the growth that he was able to find in these guys. And who knows, he might be looking at it from the standpoint of, yeah, uh, George's arrow was pointing up at the end of the year. Mike Dana's arrow was pointing up all year long. Like, guess what? We believe there's ceiling there for both of those guys. And you're going to be able to filter in a Felix Anaduke Azama behind it. You're going to be able to filter in a Charles Aminahue behind it. It, it's, it. Certainly, if those guys make any kind of impact year one and kind of fall into that Joe Cullen rotation a little bit more, yeah, the run defense may not be as good. But guys, that, that pass rush is better than probably we've seen under Steve Spagnuolo because the potential is so high. The the burst, the explosion, the bend, all of those things that when we've been talking about for the past three years, a Steve Spagnolo edge, how big, you know, powerful, long, and rigid a lot of those guys are. Now all of a sudden you've got a set of guys along with some of those guys that can still win with power, but have that burst, that bend, that ability to turn the corner. That is terrific if they can figure out a way to sort that out get those guys in the equation. Yes, the the Chiefs were second in sacks in the NFL last year. And yes, I'm projecting that if those guys play well enough to get on the field and Joe Cullen can have the impact we expect, it could be better. Maybe not from a sack number perspective, but from an overall impact, pressures, ability to affect the quarterback and ability to help out the back end. I certainly think that this group has a much higher ceiling than any of the other groups that we've seen so far, Matty. No, I for sure agree with that. Um, I think you're on, you're kind of on the nose there with Colin here. You're kind of expecting on this continued development and a little bit of a change to the style and the scheme and everything that they are playing. So like, I, I fully agree there. I think it's interesting. The chiefs kind of had to build up this run defense with the, the counter, the style of play opponents started to play against them and they got decent at it. They never became a great run defending team, but they got a lot better. And part of that was a Nick Bolton. Part of that was mm-hmm. some naughty, some Frank Clark, some Carlos Dunlap guys. They've cycled in. They don't have as many of those guys now, right? They still have the linebacker group, but as of right now, they Derek Naughty's kind of been trending down on his play. So you don't have this awesome nose tackle. Yes, you were hoping that Coburn can provide some of that on the interior. Thank you. But he's still a rookie coming into the <laughs> NFL. You've lost your by far your best run defending defensive end. Probably your second best one with Carlos Dunlap going out too. It's just, you know, there's a lot of run defense pieces that are kind of going away. And so whether the Chiefs feel like A, they have the answers to stop the run and not get ball controlled, or B, they're just banking on the upside and the development and the scheming that Joe Cullen can provide with these guys and make it work. I mean, and C is always an option. Carlos Dunlap resigns here at right before training camp and then comes with the important part and continues to play on the team. And then really, does anyone care? Like, I mean, like I get it. We like Frank Clark. Certain people like Frank Clark. We wish he would come back and be good, uh-huh. right? But if they come back and they bring Carlos Dunlap for half the price, we haven't talked about it yet. No chance that Chiefs were paying Frank Clark the amount of money that the Broncos did. It just wasn't going to happen. And so, Mm -hmm. like, if they come in and they get Carlos Dunlap for a third of that price right before training camp, like, is is anybody upset? No. Nobody's upset about that at all. And it makes a lot of sense based on what they've done in the past. I I mean, I get why Denver paid what they did for Frank Clark. It's a guy that knows every tackle in the division. 
And if there's somebody that's going to be able to come in and translate that on the field quickly, it's going to be Frank. I know that Frank Clark's not the most popular Kansas City Chief of all time, but I'll tell you what, they got everything they could out of Frank Clark, especially in the postseason. This team doesn't do what they did in the postseason without him. So salute to Frank Clark. And I got to put my Kent head on here right now. And run defense does not matter. So we will be back with our season preview after this break. I don't subscribe. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Like, share, subscribe, drink, do all those wonderful things. Thank you so much for all of your support. We love each and every one of you. Maddie, my friend. Except for the, the Frank Clark haters. You. Except for you, Frank Clark haters. Yes. Listen, we got enough love. They can stick around. They can listen. I'm kidding. We got enough we still love, love you. to counteract it. Yeah. <laughs> so It's just, you know, all right. Yeah, it is what it is. Last week, Maddie and Kent covered weeks one and two of the season in our season preview, as we've been doing for the past couple off seasons. Here, so we are moving to week three against the Chicago Bears. Maddie, we're going to start with the question we always do with these teams: What's the quality of the Bears roster? Shoo, boy. Um, okay. The offense is all right. They've done a good job of trying to turn over the offense. They have added some weapons for Justin Fields. They have revamped the offensive line a little bit. They've added, they've added a fair amount of stuff to the offensive side of the ball, right? So I do think the offensive side of the ball is improving, if not getting up to par to where I think it needs to be talent-wise. Um, now, I think there's a lot of questions on the defensive side, which is funny because the Bears have kind of been known for a defensive team over the past decade plus now. But the defense, there it seems to be lacking quite a bit for star power on the defensive side of the ball, for game changers on the defensive side of the ball, and quite frankly, even just for a lot of solid players. So it's a little bit of a tale of both sides, both sides there. I do think their offense has a chance to be a little feisty this year, though. I think they've added some good talent there that should be able to mesh pretty well together. Yeah, especially at wide receiver. I I, I know that the Chase Claypool trade last year was too much. Like, everybody knows that that was too much. But, you know, adding DJ Moore, having Darnell Mooney on the roster, having Cole Komet in another season, that's that's pretty good 
roster. Dante Foreman. You forgot your guy. My guy? Who's my guy? The veteran of the unit, Velas Jones. Listen, (laughs) my guy Velas is going to be out here returning punts and be elite at it. I hadn't gotten to special teams yet, Maddie. Oh, he's He's the same age as Devin Hester. Second year in the league. Well, listen, you're saying he's as good as Devin Hester? I I think maybe he's better. Um, But, yeah, no, Justin Fields in in this year coming in behind a much better – offensive line i really do believe that it is a better offensive line i think that darnell Wright addition was good i i really like the focus that they put on him and if you had to pick one side of the ball you know if if you're sitting there and saying i've got to fix one side of the ball this is the side of the ball that you want to fix because that's the most promise you've got justin fields there you need to figure out in a hurry if he's the guy that you think he is and there was promise last year you got to see some development so Put behind, put him in front of or behind a really good offensive line. Give him some good weapons, and then you'll figure out the defense later. Yes, I'm I'm with Maddie here. There's a lot of this defense that I'm just looking at and going, "Oh yeah, that's where that guy is." Ooh. Got it. It's it, it's a little bit rough, but I do think the Chicago Bears will be a fun team to watch because I think this offense can score points, and I don't think that this defense is going to you know stop a whole lot of points. So. Quality of the roster is just basically split on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. So let's talk about the staff now, Maddie. Let's talk about the quality of it. Who do you like over here? Who don't you like? All of that sort of stuff. I I don't. Okay. Um, I am a little unsure about this coaching staff because, yeah. well, they okay. Matt Eberflus has done a very good job coaching the defense of the Indianapolis Colts over the past few seasons, or, you know, prior the past few years before that, he gave the chiefs a few troubles doing it. I think his style of defense and he evolved a little bit with the times, but his style of defense was fun and it worked. And till you got to the playoffs and played good quarterbacks. And that's, that's a hurdle that he'll have to figure out how to play to figure out in Chicago, but they went and hired Luke Getze from green Bay. Uh, and you know, I'm going to be, Green Bay's offense doesn't do it for me. Um, when they had Devontae Adams, it was kind of like, hey, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are better than your guys. And so when you sell out to stop them, we also have Aaron Jones, who's better than your guys. And that felt like how they ran their offense. And then when they lost Adams and Rodgers was no longer the same consistent superhero, that offense seemed to really struggle. I don't think that Getsy did a great job of always creating nice, easy, open looks. I understand that it wasn't purely his offense. It belonged to Matt LaFleur and everything, but he was still part of that. So just, I'm just unsure. It's not to say that Luke Getze will be bad. I just, I don't know what to think. His only other real experience outside of that Green Bay time was a year at Mississippi State, and it was kind of a lame duck year because of the coaching staff. So I just don't know what to make of that offensive side of the coach of the ball. And like I said, I think Everflus is a smart guy, but he's just going to have some stuff to figure out. That style of defense has not yielded great success in the playoffs versus good quality offenses when it matters. Yeah, and I mean, speaking to Getsy's point there, like he doesn't have a whole lot of answers. Like I think that that's the problem with that. That's kind of why you saw Justin Fields get stuck in some games. The adjustments needed to be better there. And maybe another year under his belt, another year calling plays is going to really help with that. We will see on that front. I got some questions about Alan Williams, you know, their defensive coordinator over there, primarily been a defensive backs coach. I mean, he was a defensive coordinator for the Vikings, but that was in the early 20 teens. He was there with the Lions and the Colts before coming to the Bears as DB coaches. When you think back to those 
Lions defensive backs, like in the 2014, 2017 range. Darius Slay is there. I think we've seen that Darius Slay is kind of an anomaly. Like he was a dude that was just that guy. Wasn't necessarily something that maybe Alan Williams was contributing to. I, you know, not trying to take everything away from him there, but then you think about the Colts scheme in the years that he was there up until 2021, largely a cover two scheme, nothing that's really exotic there, not really bringing a whole bunch of the table. Now you switch over here to the Bears and you're looking at less talent and a guy that maybe doesn't have a whole lot of scheme flexibility, hasn't developed a whole bunch of guys. So there's a lot of questions that I have. Obviously, Eberflus is going to be a, a big factor in all of this, but I have questions about you know the offensive, the decent defensive coordinators, their ability to cultivate these guys, their ability to grow these guys. Both of them are in their second year. I do appreciate that they didn't just hit the eject button on either one of these guys. Like give give them enough time to try and implement their stuff. I just don't know that these are two of my favorite offensive or defensive side of the ball. There. Yeah, I think it's that's a big thing when you're hiring a new coach is who they're going to get for the staff. And like it's it's a rough sell to me that Eberflus was so good in the interview that he was able to sell these two coordinators as part of the package. And that kind of won out over some other candidates. And I get it at the time gets, he was probably riding a little bit high because they were in back-to-back Aaron Rodgers MVP years. I, mean, I don't know how much of that was him, but like back-to-back MVP years coming off of there for him, the Indianapolis Colts defense had had really good numbers and they had provided and got a lot of good play out of some guys. Like, I guess I get it. Just, I don't know. Neither guy still like just gives me a lot of confidence. All right, moving on to new addition, Maddie. Who is your favorite new addition for the Chicago Bears this year? I mean, I, I'm gonna. I guess I'm gonna go the low hanging fruit and go with a DJ Moore, right? Like, I just think mm-hmm. he's the guy that kind of he he matters here. If he is a real wide receiver, a game changing wide receiver one, or even just a good wide receiver one, I think they're they're move of trading back and getting him plus some picks is going to look really good because you're going to get a reliable offensive option for Justin Fields to throw to get somebody to get the ball to to base your offense around Mooney's not that guy Claypool definitely isn't that guy it seems like the Bears think DJ Moore is I I don't know if I think he is yet or not and so like it's really going to be up to them to show me that he's not just this really good wide receiver don't get me wrong DJ Moore is really good. I just don't know if he's a guy that you can center your entire kind of passing attack and offense through and the way they're treating him with the trade package and the way that they're kind of building out this team he needs to be. So I'm in tr- I'm interested to see if he's going to take a step forward or is he going to regress a little bit from what he was going to a new system and everything. It's just like his play is going to, I think, kind of control how well this offense plays this year. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with that one. He was going to be who I took if you didn't take him. So I'm going to put on my... Uh, bootleg football hat and get uh, our guy Brett Coleman's guy Roshan Johnson I I loved that Mm. pick for this team this team's gonna run the ball plenty with you know with Dante Foreman they've got Khalil Herbert still on the roster there Roshan Johnson is fun from a pass protection standpoint I think he's going to offer a little bit in the run game but they needed a back that they could really count on to step up Pass protect for this Justin Fields offense, especially when they want to hit some of those go balls, some of those deeper shots. I think he is a perfect, perfect fit for this offense. I don't know how much he's going to touch the ball. I don't know how much he's going to be able to, you know, rack up yardage or anything like that. But what he can do in the passing game for this team, 
I think makes a big difference. It's going to allow this team to take deeper shots and be able to hit some of this stuff so that teams can't just pack the box against them and load up and try and just say, okay, Justin, you're not going to be able to get the ball out quickly enough to these bigger, you know, good wide receivers down the field. Roshan Johnson can help with that. All right. Player to watch, Maddie for the Chicago Bears. Who you got? I'll let you go first. I've been going first in all this. I don't want to take that again. You can go first if you're ready. Okay. My guy is Tevin Jenkins. Because if Tevin Jenkins has a good year, this offensive line has a chance to be really good. Like I, I I really like a lot of these pieces. It's not going to wow you with some of the names, Cody Whitehair, Nate Davis. Like you're not looking at this team and you're going, oh, okay, well, this is going to be really good. Tevin Jenkins was one of my favorite prospects to watch as a tackle. He is now kicked inside to guard as a left guard. He's kind of projected to be there right now. If Tevin Jenkins can kind of recapture some of the stuff that we saw at tackle and he gets some reps in camp to play at tackle, this this offensive line can be really, really good. Braxton Jones doesn't really do it for me at left tackle. It's, it's just not going to be a guy that really does it for me too terribly much. However, Tevin Jenkins being good gives this offensive line potentially three good pieces and three good pieces is way more than what Justin Fields is used to working with right now. So I think he is just a key in making sure that Fields stays upright, that they can run the ball the way that they want to, whether he's playing left tackle, whether he's playing left guard, I don't, it doesn't really matter him being good at one of those two positions just solves a lot of things for that offense. So I, I'm going to take Justin Fields because, well, he's the quarterback and he has clearly been so has some high ups and some really low lows. Um, so obviously I said DJ Moore kind of controls their entire offense. Okay, well, really, it's Justin Fields that does. But I think DJ Moore is going to be what unlocks him. I did want to say, though, I almost wanted to go. If you went Fields, I was going to go Braxton Jones, actually, because I thought he played yeah. really good as a rookie at left tackle. I, good enough. I don't think Chicago was ever even in the market for a left tackle this year, whether in the draft or in free agency. So it just... I was interested to see if he could hold that up or if it was a little bit of a fluke because I, I thought he played oddly really well for them last year. I remember when the uh, watching him a couple times, I was like, oh, interesting. He's a little better than I thought. So I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the guy playing next to him and Tevin Jenkins, who's clearly better at guard. He and Braxton Miller could be a pretty good one-two punch there on the left side if Miller can continue his level of play. But um, yeah, Fields, great runner. And when he's unlocked his legs, that offense gets really scary. They get, they get legitimately scary when Fields is running the ball well. And when he's playing on time, when he feels comfortable that the protection is going to be there, when he feels comfortable that his guys are going to be open, he can throw the ball very, very well. He can be rattled pretty easily, though. And I think that's the big challenge for Getsy and this offense is to make it to where Fields doesn't feel uncertain. He doesn't feel rattled because that's when he starts to fall apart. And it seems like it snowballs for him pretty bad. So I just want to see if his confidence can increase as the game goes on, his comfort behind this offensive line and with this team, I think he could be in position to take a big step. Fields is somebody that has like the football world really torn because some people Mm -hmm. watch him and see the high highs and see little bits and pieces. They think he's really ready to make that next step. And other people watch him and can only see the lows and see the really bad plays, which are really, really bad. I don't just mean bad throws. I mean like, clearly not understanding a blitz, clearly not seeing a coverage, and they just don't think he's going to get it. I lean with the the former. I think he's going to figure it out, and I think this might be the year. If it's not, they're going to have to get some new offensive coaches in there, but like, I'm, I'm ready for Fields to take a big step this year. 
Yeah, I'm with it. I mean, he's he's obviously the linchpin for, for that entire offense. And that's going to segue right into this one. How does this team beat the Chiefs? They got to score. Like, uh, they they do. I know it seems, of course, they, they've got to score more than the Chiefs. Great analysis, Craig. But I don't think that their defense is going to be able to stop the Kansas City Chiefs offense in enough ways to make it competitive. So I do think that it's going to have to be a situation, I think, People might remember back to that Detroit Lions game a couple of years ago that ended up being a little bit of a shootout, a little bit of a score fest. I think that they got to hang with the Chiefs, put it on them early, force Andy Reid and company to maybe have to put the pedal down a little bit more than they're comfortable with early on in the season. And I think that they can do that because Fields, like you said, his legs can create a ton. I think they're going to be able to run the ball well. And these receivers are good enough with with the ball in their hands. You've got to make sure that you're sound tacklers, that you're doing a good job of bringing guys down in the open field, not necessarily Chase Claypool because he's not going to be in the open field, but he's still going to make catches. (laughs) But, I mean, it's enough things that are going in the positive way for this offense that I can see them scoring a bunch of points on this defense as this defense is growing into it. Steve Spagnuolo, you know, routinely starts a little slower. So growing into this defense a little bit more, I could see this, this Chicago bears offense scoring a whole bunch of points and making it very uncomfortable for the chiefs and having to, you know, maybe pull a little bit more out of their bag than they're expecting. I, you know, Craig, you you seem a little bit higher on the Chicago Bears team. I don't I know how they beat the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't see this defense stopping the Chiefs from doing quite literally anything. I mean, <laughs> listen to every player we've talked about, the player to watch, the new addition. They've all been on the offensive side of the ball. And I, to their defense, they added two defensive tackles that I really liked, and Gervon Dexter mm-hmm. and Zach Pickens. And then they drafted some corners and Terrell Smith and Tyreek Stevenson. And yeah, 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 they added guys. But nobody's proven, and they still don't have any playmakers. They don't have any game changers. You paid Tremaine Edmonds a lot of money, and like that's cool. I think he uh, opened up the Bills' defense to do a lot of stuff, but he also didn't make a lot of plays when they needed him to. When the Bills went up against really good offenses, Edmonds, yeah, kind of got targeted by the Chiefs, by the Bengals, by good offenses. Like that's your big addition, or is it TJ Edwards, you know, a linebacker coming from the Eagles? Who same thing. He allowed them to play a certain way, but when it mattered, he was kind of a guy with a target on his back. So I don't know. It feels like a really uphill battle. I, yeah, it could be a shootout, and maybe they just happen to get the ball last, and the Chiefs just happen to not be on the right page defensively, and Justin Fields is running and throwing and carving them up. I just don't see where the Bears get stops against any team, but let alone the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Trust me, I'm, I'm taking the Chiefs big in this one, but I, you know, asking asking how they could, I I could see a path to that. All right, the the best part of all this because I, I I'm very I'm always very curious to hear Maddie's answer on this. It's just so wildly different every single week. Who is the Chiefs non Patrick Mahomes MVP? And because I I'm so excited about it, I'm going to go first and let Maddie oh, prepare his. That's a good his, idea. Great I don't one. want to steal you your know, guy. So yeah, I listen. I, 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 you're just so versatile in everything that you do that I feel like you can, go, you can adapt. Can you can adapt. Um, I'm going to go with Drew Tranquil. Uh, I know that that may be a little surprise for people. Justin Fields has struggled to see those kind of middle of the field defenders in his time <laughs> in the in league. He struggled to see a lot of things, but that's one of them that he's really struggled with. 
Drew Tranquil, especially if this uh, this defense gets up on the Chicago Bears, is going to see a lot of snaps in the dime. I can see him getting his hands on a lot of passes, being able to really impact the game in the dime and really make a you – know, this might be a coming out party for Drew Tranquil where everybody – or Chiefs fans finally sit back and look at this and go – Oh, that dude. Okay, that's how important he's going to be. I think there's going to be a lot of questions about who's in the dime, who's got that green dot in the dime, why isn't Willie Gay that guy? It's been that way for you know three years now, so I wouldn't expect it to stop. I think this is the one where maybe Drew Tranquil comes out and all of a sudden everybody goes, that's the guy, that's why he's here. It's for games like this. Interesting. Linebacker. Um, I feel like linebacker is going to be a very important position for this game. And yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's an area to focus on. I, I'm glad you went there too. Cause I wanted to go that direction too. And I talked a little bit about the bears linebackers and Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards and how they have struggled sometimes. Well, you know, who's good against linebackers and making them struggle. Travis Kelsey is going to be my oh, non Mahomes MVP for this game. Just one. and only, only because I, I we've seen Tremaine Edmonds try to cover him. We've seen TJ Edwards try to cover him, and it hasn't worked, right? So, like, I feel like for this game, this specific matchup, it's kind of setting up for Travis Kelsey to take advantage of a little bit weaker of a linebacker room. And like, yeah, there's a little bit more talent in Eddie Jackson and Jaquan Brisker as safeties, but like they're not ready to stop Kelsey either. I don't believe they can cover the gap. From, from Kelsey really going after those linebackers. So for that reason and that reason alone, I'll take Travis Kelsey as my non-Mahomes MVP. Ah, Patty really taking advantage of the Bears linebacking core there, just like we're going to take advantage of a break right after this. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. Hit the subscribe button, hit the share button, hit the like button. You like that? It's kind of a reverse thing there. We're going to go on to week four So good when you explain it. <laughs> Listen, I got I to gotta take over for Kent somehow here. He, he, he's over, an over-explainer. Week four at the New York Jets. What's this roster look like, Maddie? Pretty good, I guess. Oh, I mean, you know, the New York Jets had a pretty good roster last year, and they just happened to have Zach Wilson starting because everybody else they had got hurt. And so what do they do? They went out and I think made a terrible trade for Aaron Rodgers. However, for one year, for one game, for this game against the Chiefs, this depth chart, this roster is nothing but pretty darn good, kind of from top to bottom. It's it's really hard to sit here and poke a lot of holes in the uh the Jets entire team like the offensive line has some guys that kind of get a gel and come together what will Makai back and be able to give you Vera Tucker's returning from injury even though he was really good Lake and Tomlinson Joe Tim- like maybe there's a little bit of a weakness there on the offensive line of guys still trying to get back together and really gel but man once you get past that or if you just assume they're even average this seems pretty good across the board I'd say the biggest weakness outside of how the offensive line's going to return to form is maybe the pass rush to go along with Quinn and Williams I don't think Carl Lawson's been quite what they anticipated but even still what I'm talking about Carl Lawson's a guy that's been good in the NFL Quinn and Williams is really good they've oddly gotten good play out of a John Franklin Myers overtime so like yeah there's not, there's not a lot of, I don't know. Do you see weaknesses? What, what's your take on this roster? Cause I look at it and I'm like, yeah, okay. They're pretty good. And even that, like they added Will McDonald in the first round this year, whether, whether well, or not we think he's, I know whether or not I we know, think he's I going know. to be like a stud edge. He's got some pass rush juice. He does. 
And I mean, Solomon Thomas is on this roster. Michael Clemens is still on this roster. I loved oh, Michael man. Clemens last year. And oh yeah, as it turns out, their secondary is just full of studs. Like it oh. is terrific. That defense. Can't forget about Jermaine Johnson. I did. That's why I'm bringing it back up. I forgot Jermaine they had Johnson. a first round pick return. I mean, like still on the yes. season last year. Like they have so many pieces on the defensive side of the ball. Yikes. They're going to be able, they're, they're going to throw waves at, you know, opposing offenses. And that secondary is so good that it's not going to matter what combination they put on the defensive line. Quarterbacks are going to have to hold the ball like period. They're just that level of good. The question mark last year was always the quarterback position. It didn't matter what was happening there. Garrett Wilson was outstanding better than anybody could have ever guessed that he was going to be in year one let alone with the combination of zach wilson joe flacco mike white who else started for the everybody started for them i think maddie started for them one one game and zach yeah. er, and garrett wilson went for 102 touchdowns like it, it, he was that level of good yeah. so i think the questions have always been around that quarterback position and yes it is very expensive what they gave up for Aaron Rodgers. I think it is very steep. You are mortgaging the future. But frankly, they were a quarterback away last year from being just terrific. Like, it is a really scary team that nobody wanted to play in the playoffs. Now, all of a sudden, if a lot of these year two players grow like we think they're going to, and Aaron Rodgers can command this offense like we know he can, especially with Nathaniel Hackett there, like, this team is good, and this roster is really good. Like, th yeah. this is a potentially very scary AFC team if they all hit their ceiling in that way. So, leaving it to the staff to hit the ceiling, Maddie, do you think that this staff can do so? I I don't have a reason to think they can't, right? Like, I think Robert Sala has been really good. I think he's a really, really good defensive-minded coach. I actually think he's done a pretty good job – handling that that roster in the way it has been i don't think he i don't think he's been given the easiest path to success and maybe some of that's his own choosing so he can catch some blame but i think he's done a pretty good job um handling the roster i think he's a very good defensive coach i think yes the jets defense last year got some help by playing a lot of really bad offenses but they still yeah. played really good I don't know if they'll be like the best defense in the NFL, but they'll be up there. They won't be a we they will be a good defense at the very, very least. So I mean the defensive side of the ball is good. Robert Sala is good. Nathaniel Hackett was a disaster in Denver, but mm -hmm. going back to be an offensive coordinator for Aaron Rodgers. And when we saw that last, it worked really, 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 really well. He clearly has Aaron Rodgers trust. He clear him and Aaron Rodgers are clearly guys that get along, they understand one another. I don't think there's any reason that he can't continue to dial stuff up that Aaron Rodgers likes, call a good game that allows Aaron Rodgers to do Aaron Rodgers thing. So I I like the coaching staff. I don't know if I love it because I don't think Hackett's the best. I don't know if Jeff Ulbrich is the guy that I would choose as my first, second, or third defensive coordinator. But for this team, I think they, they do pretty good. I, I mean, Jeff Ulbrich... Uh you look at what he's done since 2021. Now, granted, you can chalk a lot of that up to Robert Sala and that mentality and the way that that defense plays, but he has translated what Sala wants to the field really well. Oh, yeah. And like Matty said, Nathaniel Hackett was a train wreck in Denver, an absolute dumpster fire of a head coach. But we know he can be an offensive coordinator, and we know that he works well with that quarterback. And, oh, yeah, 
these weapons are pretty good still. You know, yeah, he had Devontae Adams in Green Bay. I'm not saying that Garrett Wilson is Devontae Adams, but the secondary tertiary weapons that he has at his disposal this this season are better, I think, than the Randall Cobbs, than, oh, man, who, who Marquez Valdez can't, like, I can't believe I almost forgot MBS. <laughs> but, I mean, I think Alan these Lazard? guys had the – Alan Lazard. Alan Lazard is there. So is Randall Cobb. So is Randall Cobb. But, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I do think that this set of weapons, these running backs, mimic a lot of what we saw when Green Bay was kind of this high-octane offense. The difference is this defense is professionally ready. Like, the Green Bay defense got a lot of hype. They've had some good years, but it was very up and down, and they didn't always play at their best in the biggest moments and things like that. This Jets defense is is a different beast altogether. So, yeah, I do think that this coaching staff is really good. I think that they've done a good job of maximizing the young talent. I have no reason to think that they're not going to do it again, which is going to bring us to the new additions and these young talent. Maddie, I'll let you do this one, and I'll take the next three. Oh, okay. Um, well, I, I, I won't go with the low-hanging fruit this time. I'm actually going to go with okay. Chuck Clark, a safety, yeah. because – I don't think their safety room has been that particularly good. That is one of the areas on this team. That's I skipped over it earlier. I don't know if they have the best safety room. It's now Chuck Clark is joining Jordan Whitehead. And so I think Chuck Clark gives them a veteran presence. It gives them a guy that has a lot of experience on the back end. And now the I'm interested to see just how he fits with Whitehead, right? I think both Clark and Whitehead are guys that would rather be playing near the line of scrimmage. Both guys that would rather be flying downhill, trying to be a little bit more aggressive, one of them is going to have to take a little bit more of a safety net type of role. And the corners for the Jets are very good. The corner room for the Jets has played exceptionally well, but if they're kind of weak over the middle of the field, that doesn't matter as much. So I do think just Chuck Clark might need to be this calming presence for Whitehead for a linebacker group that can be up and down. And I think they traded for him. They made a trade with Baltimore to get Chuck Clark this offseason. He's clearly... On the back end of his career, he's kind of winding it down a little bit, but still they thought he was a guy that needed to go get a guy to bring in. And I think it'll be interesting to see how he can step in there, replace what they lost a couple years ago in Marcus May, because that's kind of the last time they had a leader of that safety room. Well, I guess they had Adams and then May and then now Chuck Clark. They're just kind of cycling through guys there and not keeping anyone around. I just wonder how that is going to play out for them because they, they need somebody. They need somebody to solidify the middle field kind of pass coverage I don't think that's Jordan Whitehead. He's a little bit too much of a loose cannon. Can Chuck Clark provide that calming presence? And if so, whew, that secondary gets scary. Yeah, it does. I'm not going to take uh, Aaron Rodgers here. We, we uh, talked about, about Aaron Rodgers. I'm, I'm just not. Um, I am going to go with Will McDonald. I, I kind of alluded to this earlier. Uh, Will McDonald has a lot of growth that he needs in his game still. He's an older prospect. He was one of those guys that we talked a lot about in the lead up to the draft because he had some ties to Kansas City. You know, rumors had it that there were people in the building that liked him. But he has a lot of things that are kind of strikes, quote unquote, against him. That, you know, in Kansas City, as one of these young players that you're hoping to develop, you're looking at it and you're going, oh, I don't know that I like that move as much as I like some other moves. Will McDonald in New York makes a ton of sense because they don't have to play him on early downs if they don't want to. They don't have to use him in a way that a traditional first rounder is. Jermaine Johnson did not play a ton of snaps for this defense last year and they didn't need him to. They cycled him in in matchups that mattered. They're going to do the same. 
with Will McDonald. I actually think it's kind of a, a neat approach that Robert Sala and this defense are taking where it's just like, Hey, listen, we know what this guy can do. We know what he can do. Well, if he's not growing into the role that we hope he's going to be, we're not going to say, okay, well, you're a first round draft pick. You've got to be on the field. They're going to fit him into roles and just know that they're still going to be good. So I'm curious to see what Will McDonald's role looks like in this defense. And I think that that's a potentially good one because it's going to give them a, you know, a fast twitch pass rusher that can really get after the passer really quickly along with Quinn and Williams. Those two guys, if they're playing well, Quinn is obviously going to play well, but if Will McDonald steps into that pass rush role, even from a defensive or designated pass rusher role, I think that he could be really good. I think that that defense could gain another element with him only playing those snaps. So I could see that being a, a big thing there. Player to watch. I'm going to take this one first here. Makai Becton. I mean, listen, there are some questions on this offensive line. And there were a lot of people that as this kind of went along, it's like, well, what are the Jets going to do in the first round? How are they going to try and shore up their offensive line? How good do they feel about the types of players that they have there? Do they need to add some players? They were a popular offensive line destination for a lot of these people that we've been talking about. And then they didn't go out and try and, you know, essentially draft over or add a guy over the top of Makai Becton, who has struggled to stay healthy, who has struggled to keep his weight in check, who has struggled to do a lot of things so far. He is going to be a linchpin for protecting Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers needs time. He did, you know, newsflash, quarterbacks who have pressure in their face don't play well. But he has really struggled in the past here as his offensive line has kind of fallen apart around him. That Green Bay offensive line was not good last year. They did not play to the level that they typically do. And he was bad because of it. Like he did not look good because of it. Makai Becton has to be a guy that's protecting the front side of him. Aaron Rodgers is going to be staring down the barrel of guys that are beating him time and time again if he plays to the way that he has in the past at times. So he's got to play up to a certain level here. So my eyes are on him. I, I think that's a pretty good one here. Um, I was trying to debate which direction I wanted to go to with it. I'm going to go back to the defensive side. Stick in the secondary. We're going to go with Sauce Gardner. He's really good. Good football player. Great football player. Really good corner. Mm-hmm. I also think he went up against some not great offenses last year, and it kind of helped launch this the campaign of he's this next best guy. He's the ne- he's the competition for Patrick Sertan to be the best corner in the league right now. Kind of these two guys replacing a Jalen Ramsey and like where we're at. I want to see it happen another year. I want to see him do it one more year before I'm ready to agree. And I want to see him do it against a higher level of competition. I think it's going to be very important for this defense. If he can actively lock down number one wide receivers or a third of the field without receiving any help whatsoever. I do think Robert Sala is the kind of guy that can adjust his defense when that's the case and can really weaponize it. But if he's not that guy, if he just is a really good corner and again, He's a really good player. If he's just really good, though, and they can't adjust their entire defensive scheme around him taking away a whole player, a whole third of the field, I just think that kind of takes him down a little bit of a peg. That kind of is leading you a little bit of a stray from what the offseason hype has been. And not that he can't regain it, not that he can't keep growing or that you panic if there's any signs of fault. 
I just want to see if he is going to continue to play at that level as tape is available on him, as teams now know what he does. Because again, he wasn't targeted a ton at Cincinnati, wasn't targeted a ton last year, played really well. I just want to see what good offenses do to kind of try to manipulate him and if he can fend it off like Sertan has been able to do, even though he's been in the league for a couple of years now. If he's bad this year, I'm fully blaming the Sports Illustrated cover that he had the, the sauce on his hand. I don't like, know how they let that the, happen. I don't know how they let that happen either. All right. How does this team beat the Chiefs? Honestly, they play them in week 10. <laughs> I, I think that it's going to be tough for all these all these weapons, all this defense, all these defensive additions to play to the level that the Kansas City Chiefs can in week four. This is going to be about the time when I think this Jets team is going to start putting it together, but isn't done putting it together. And so from that perspective, yeah, this offense can score points. This defense can limit points. I'm not saying that in week four that they can't do those things. But man, I am very glad that the Kansas City Chiefs are seeing them in week four. I'm not worried about the Chiefs in the playoffs. I'm worried about Andy Reid, again, specifically in week 10 when they're in the middle of Andy Reid taking all those cards, hold them up next to his chest and saying, nope, we're not doing anything exotic for a little while here. You know, I think that that's the prime time when this Jets team could come in and really give the Chiefs something to worry about. I think they're catching them at the right time. I think he's a really good team. And I think that the Chiefs potentially will see him in the playoffs, but I, I just don't know that this is the right time to come in and offer the kind of challenge yet to the Chiefs. I think their path to victory is Aaron Rodgers finally, we, uh, us as fans finally getting a State Farm Bowl and Aaron Rodgers taking it very personally and having a an vintage MVP Aaron Rodgers level game. Spraying the ball around to Garrett Wilson, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Corey Davis, Denzel Mims has a resurgence and maybe he even hits some tight ends like Tyler Conklin or CJ Uzma. This gets the ball to all these guys. Brees Hall comes back healthy and has a big game. Like, all of these guys start catching the passes. The Chiefs defense can't slow down the, this offense that has all these weapons that I'm mentioning here. And then the defense is able to do just enough with the star talent that they have. Has just enough to be able to get a stop here or there. And then we go on and the Chiefs lose a shootout versus team. Or even if it's not a shootout, maybe the Jets defense just has some wrinkles. And it's that random game that the Chiefs offense can't quite figure out. But you still get that kind of vintage Rodgers performance again with all these weapons and everything they have like i think there is a path unlike the bears i do see a path where the jets can simply talent match the chiefs and win because of all of that to mention maddie you, you called him cj uzama uzama I, I know it's one of the few listen it's a more complicated one so i know this one see not, not here's the thing though if i mispronounce a name i i apologize to the person me but like i also don't care if i mispronounce a name because like names can be pronounced a billion different ways i move on real fast when i mispronounce a name i do not i try and gloss <laughs> right over it and y'all don't let me who is the chief's non-patrick mahomes mvp in this game I'm actually going to go with, oh, I'm going to go with a wide receiver here. I'm going to go with Sky Moore. Um, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of matchups with Sauce Gardner kind of trying to take away guys on the outside. The Chiefs are going to throw waves at these guys, and I don't think that there's enough of a worry weapon that's not a a, a guy that, I, I don't know if, I'm not going to say any names because I don't think Matty's going to say him twice, but I don't want to take his, his guy, but 
you know, the the wide receiving weapons, I, I don't think that there's enough of a, a threat out there to where Sauce Gardner is going to follow somebody around. I think he'll be a little more static. I think Sky Moore is going to operate out of the slot really well. This secondary is great. These linebackers are pretty good. But Andy Reid typically against these sorts of teams finds ways to get his possession slot guys the ball in a in really good positions, maximizes them pretty well. I actually like their nickel pretty well. Michael Carter, you know, I, I, I think he's a good football player. But I do think that this is kind of a Sky Moore game, moving the chains, kind of picking up some of the tough, gritty third downs a little bit more. I think that he's going to be the key component that's a non-Mahomes guy. I think this is going to be a spread the ball around kind of game for Mahomes. But I think that kind of these big crucial plays that we're going to remember are going to come from Sky Moore in this one. So I think that the thing for the, for the Jets is they either, they're either going to play a lot of cover three stuff, and if that's the case, they're playing zone, or they're going to try to man up in which they have a bunch of short secondary players. Michael Carter, you like, not very tall. Uh, DJ yeah. Reed, who is good, not Great. very tall. Chuck very Clark, tall. Jordan Whitehead, not very tall, not very big. So, I mean, you even go to Ashton Davis, Tony, like they don't have any big super freak athlete kind of tight end matchup pieces. So once again, it feels like a really good matchup for Travis Kelsey. I don't mean to do this on purpose. It's just for That's some That's a great reason, point, though. It's a great point. We, I didn't expect you were going to go there, but go ahead. Yeah. I know. I get it. And like, I didn't want to because I know it gets old, but like, there's just, it's a really good matchup again for Travis Kelsey. It's either zone or man coverage for smaller players or what they're going to match up CJ Mosley or Quincy Williams. on. They have nobody to stop yeah. Travis Kelsey. It's like, here I am. We're doing this preview. I'm saying the same guy back-to-back weeks or for games. And like, I don't mean to do it, but like, it's just a really good matchup for Travis Kelsey. And if it's going to be a shootout, you got to feed your best players. So like, I think we got to go with Kelsey again for the non-Mahomes MVP. I mean... I know that's tough for you to do, buddy. I know how much you like to mix it up, especially in these these reviews. And so I, I understand, but your, your logic is sound. And at least you're coming to the table with really sound logic for each and one, every one of these decisions. That is going to do it for the KC Laboratory. We thank you all so much for sticking with us, getting through all of this with us. Like, share, subscribe, drop a five-star. Do all of that wonderful stuff for us. We love you so much. Be kind to each other, and we will catch you later. 17. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.